If you've got your Bibles, I did have an announcement, which I completely forgot because I was welcoming back Vivian and Simon. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue there. Now, look, I, am, I've, I've, I discovered just how immature I am as a person okay, over, the, over the, the past week as I was preparing this message. See, I'm not, I'm not a, gram- a grammatical scholar. English was not my, my strong suit. English was not my, my best subject at school. I can barely speak English now. I don't know the ins and outs of various rules that apply to the English language, uh, the pros and the, that the English language uses, but there are three words that come out in today's passage that while the text we're looking at today is 1 Peter 3 verses, um, it's actually from verse 8 to verse 22, but I'm going to focus on verses 14 to 16. Because in those verses there are what's called, and I had to look this up, three conjunctions, three conjunctions used in order to not only, I guess you could say, to prepare us, to equip us, and to instruct us in our lives as we walk with Jesus, regardless of the context that we're in. And continuing along, as we looked at last week with wives and husbands, and even before that, that whole idea of submission, we're going to continue that theme of submission as we carry on through the rest of chapter 3. So I'm going to read these three verses to you from verses 14 to 16. If you've got your Bibles, please read along with me. And it says this, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. There are three conjunctions in this passage I want to focus on today. Three, and this is where I found my immaturity, three buts is what we're going to be looking at today. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, every time I think about it now, it makes me giggle. We're going to look at, we're going to look at these three conjunctions. That's why I have to use the word conjunction, because every time I say three buts, it makes me smile. Okay, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my immaturity. I'm, I'm smiling now. Let's pray, and let's go through the word together, okay? Let, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and and I thank you that even in my immaturity, you can use your word to bring about great transformation. So I pray today that you will teach us, you will minister to our hearts, you will open our eyes to see the greatness of who you are and the seriousness of the commandment, of the instruction, and of the equipping that you are giving to us in your son. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So... You'll notice in this passage from verse 8 through to verse 22 that it is following on. Remember, it is a church that is under persecution. It is a church that is experiencing a lot of oppression for the sole reason of being Christians. And Peter, what he, what he does, he, he wants to emphasize what submission really looks like 
in everyday life, whether as a husband or a wife, whether as a servant or a slave, as it talks about in 1 Peter 2, whether as an employer, whatever the context you were in, what submission really looks like. So Peter expresses in verses 8 through to 13 what divine submission looks like. And we start off with this. So I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to share with you various things, various truths that are found within. But it starts off, finally, all of you. Remember, he's just talked about wives in verses 1 to 6. He has made the reference to husbands in verse 7. Then he carries on and says, finally, all of you, all of you, not some, not most, but all of you be like-minded, like-minded. It means this, a like-mindedness that aligns with the heart of God. A like-mindedness that as a husband, as a wife, as a worker, as an employer, as an employee, as a, as a family, as a community member, shows the reality with in and from the divine heart of God as expressed in Jesus Christ. He says, be like-minded as Jesus is. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Or in my simplistic terms, be as Jesus was in his conduct when, de- with, when dealing with his questioners, when dealing with his persecutors, when dealing with his doubters and his critics, his mockers and his followers. Jesus, who was, a, who was sympathetic when a woman, I think I put this up there. No, I didn't. When a woman with an issue of blood, came and touched the hem of his garment and said, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. And she received healing in Matthew 9. Jesus commanded his disciples to love each other just as he loved them in John 13. The compassion of the Lord Jesus when he came into this world to seek and to save the lost in Luke 19 when he did with Zacchaeus, or the humility of Jesus as he came into the world that was made by him and the world did not know him as described in John chapter 1. So basically, the foundational truth upon which our lives are to be built begins, is sustained, and is aiming for to be reflective of the person of Jesus, the very life of Jesus. It culminates in us that our ultimate goal is to be what? According to Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. The life of Jesus being formed in us as we go about each day. And as you carry on in that passage, it means this in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. You know what that's called? That's called justice. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's called justice. And you know, I'm told here, someone goes, gives you evil, don't repay it with evil. Someone gives you insult, don't give it with insult. You know why? Because that's not the example our Lord Jesus gave, was it? When people mocked him and nailed two of him to a cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The compassion, the love. The, the, I mean, look, you carry on reading evil, because to this you were called. Think about that. So don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called. Catch that. 
you are called to this so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, I'm not saying that you do this so you get something from God, because it's what blessing? You could say it's the blessing of righteous living. You could say it's the blessing of God's involvement. You could say it's the blessing of God's oversight, the blessing of God's power. Blessings that Peter reiterates through quoting the psalmist in Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. So when he carries on in verse 10, he's actually quoting the psalmist. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. In other words, repentance. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, as naive as that sounds in verse 13, we live in a day and age where if you demonstrate godly behavior, godly kindness, godly patience, just exercise any type of, of I guess you could say, weakness in today's terms, then you're taken advantage of and, and others Others sit there and start to look down on you for doing such things. But we have to understand something. Living godly isn't living naively. We are told to be as wise as serpents, or as the old King James puts it, as cunning as serpents, but as gentle as doves. It is living with divine discernment. It is living with biblical wisdom. It is living with spiritual guidance. For by the Spirit of God, we are granted a right understanding of who we are as God's child and the context with which we are in. So the context, regardless of whether it goes our way or not, we have to be willing to accept that whatever it is we are encountering is God's plan or God's working in our lives. I was we're going through Joseph's life story at the Chinese church in the Sunday school. And we were talking about Joseph's life. And, and the, uh, the kids were watching a little video and, and one of the kids says, I don't like Joseph's brothers. Why? Well, they're not very nice to him. They sold him. Then they saw the, the, the part where, where Potiphar's wife you know, dobs him in and, and frames him and he goes to prison. And he goes, I don't like Potiphar's wife. Why? She's not very nice. And then he, he does the dreams for the two guys. And when he goes to, she goes to the baker, he goes to the baker and the baker sort of loses it with him. Ah, you're alive with this. I don't like the baker. Why? He's not very nice. And then when we were talking about that, I said to them afterwards, you know, what I find really interesting, that even in all that badness, you know, God still had a plan. What plan? Oh, we're, and we're looking at that today. We're looking at what God, but, but you know, God still had a plan. Do you know that God had a plan for Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers? Really? Yeah. You know, God had a plan for him being put in prison by Potiphar's wife? Really? You know, God had a plan that even in jail, God had a plan for, for, for Joseph then when he, when he interpreted dreams? Really? Yeah, God had a plan. So sometimes even the bad stuff, God wants to use for his glory, for our goodness, for our best. And the kids are like, Really? Yeah, but we forget that, don't we? When something bad happens to us, we think God has it out for us. When something doesn't go our way, we think God has let us down. When we don't get things to go in the way we want it to go, then we think, oh God, what's going on? I'm doing what you want. I don't, I don't understand. But even in that, God can still be working. 
even in that, God can have his will be done. And this is why the first of the three conjunctions comes out. So he sits there and he talks about all this sort of stuff. He says, remember, he's writing to people who have been persecuted, people who have lost their careers, people who have lost property, people who may be imprisoned for being a Christian. And yet he says to them, don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay insult for insult. You're not called to that. You repay evil with blessing. And you're like, what? I don't understand. And this is where the conjunction comes in. This is the first of the buts. Okay, and this he says, in the midst of suffering, when you're walking faithfully with the Lord, we can be courageous. See, here's the first conjunction. He says, but even. See, what the word but is used for, or what a conjunction is used for, is to contrast one idea with something else. Instead of, or alongside with. So he says, even though there is all this stuff going on, he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Even in your suffering, you can be blessed. Even in your difficulty, you can be blessed. So much so that he says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. See, this is a contrasting thought that many of us either forget or choose not to accept. And that is this, that things in life, even as a Christian, doesn't go the way we would like it to. Things in life, even as a Christian, doesn't go as planned. It's not all sunshines and rainbows. It's not always smooth sailing and easy living. If anything, as Christians, there is to be far more difficulty than we probably expect. And you see this contrasting theme all throughout the Scriptures. When we read these contrasting themes in the Scriptures, we marvel at it. And the reason why we marvel at it is because we see in hindsight the amazing work of God's hand in people's lives and think, wow, I've heard testimony after testimony after testimony within this church of people who have gone through trial, people who have gone through struggle, people who have had huge obstacles that God has delivered in, and they have testified to me of God's faithfulness as they look back in hindsight and see the faithful hand of God at every turn. I'm guilty of that too. In the midst of it, I'm thinking, what did I do? In the midst of it, where did I go wrong? It's the midst, in the midst of it, how did I fail? Or how, God, are you failing me? In hindsight, I look back and see the faithful hand of God, whether it be Jacob running away from Esau when he, when he tricked his brother out of his birthright, whether it be Joseph, as I shared, sold into slavery, whether it be Joshua's defeat at Ai, a smaller city, right after their huge victory in Jericho, whether it be Samson's haircut by Delilah, whether it be Paul and Barnabas' falling out over Mark, in Acts, or even Paul's beatings and his shipwrecks and his drifting in the ocean. See, none of that was what they would have wanted to happen, but it did. And in the happening of it, as they served the living God faithfully, but even in that, God stepped in. 
But even in that, you can live victoriously. That's the beauty of it. I mean, Ephesians chapter 2, which is one of the greatest little passages, when we read about how we are dead in our trespasses and sins and that we are guilty and deserving of God's wrath, we read in verse 4, but God who is rich in love and his great mercy wherewith he loved us. One of my favorite quoted verses that I quote from here often, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and the first few verses you hear about or read about how, you know, for a good man, some, you know, for a righteous man, some might die. I tell you what, even for a good man, some might even dare to die. What does verse 8 say? But God commanded his love toward you, that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. There's that, that intervention. See, none of those things that happen with these guys, none of those things that have happened in your life, those struggles, those difficulties, and those hardships, they're not what they wanted to happen. You, you, that's not what you wanted to happen. It's not what they wanted to happen, but it did. And in the happening, they got to see God do some amazing things. They got to see God be strong on their behalf. Second Chronicles chapter 9, sorry, 16, verse 9, it says that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. He's looking, he's looking, and he's saying, I want to I wanna show myself strong on your behalf, Peter. He's looking, he's looking, I want to show myself as strong on your behalf, you Sunling. On your behalf, Ray. He's looking because he wants to involve himself and have your eyes off your situation and on him, who is far bigger than your situation. I mean, one of those great points about the parable of the, the, the wise man and the foolish man that we sing with the kids, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock, you know, and the rains came tumbling down. Now here's the reality, that the same rains... The same rains of job loss, the same rains of gossip, the same rains of, of illness, the same rains of, of loss that happens to the foolish man happens to the wise man. Just because one has his house built upon the rock and one has his house built upon the sand doesn't stop one house from being exempt or exempt from suffering those storms. They experience those same storms. Both of them, Christian and non-Christian alike, can be troubled. Both of them, Christian and non-Christian alike, can experience hardship. Both of them, Christian and non-Christian alike, can have relationship troubles, can suffer loss, can be overwhelmed, can experience disappointment, can have major illness, can have suffering and harm. Each of them, Christian and non-Christian alike, but... There's the conjunction. But if your life is built on the rock, who is Jesus Christ, then you have a foundation that is immovable, that is firm, and that enables you to stand in the midst of the hardship. That's what that means. That is why we are blessed with these words, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. 
Do not fear because if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. Do not be frightened because all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Do not fear because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4. 4. Do not be frightened because though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me, thy rod. God and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 4. And all, all, and while all of life may not go the way you're expecting, while the things that take place in this life, in this life might be difficult, remember, this life is not your final destination. This life isn't where we're going to remain. This life, I mean, remember a few weeks ago, why I call this why we're called foreigners and exiles. We're called strangers and pilgrims. A pilgrim, he's a guy on a journey. And this life, we are passing through to the life to come. For this life is the opportunity for us here now to trust in the Lord as He prepares us for the life to come where he, as the word says, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's Revelation 21 verse four. I call that but, I call that but, the, or I call that conjunction, the but of realistic expectation. The but of realistic expectation. That is life. Life is hard, and just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it makes it any easier, easier, but it does enable you to be prepared and equipped to walk through it. D.L. Moody, who said, do not pray for God to remove all trial and suffering from you. Pray for God to give you strength to endure it. That's what he prayed. So, the second one, okay? So, we've got the but of realistic expectation. The next one is this that I can best equip myself by prioritizing Jesus and cherishing my relationship with him. So we've got but even in these realistic expectation circumstances. In spite of that, I can but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. That word revere means to to hold as precious, to, to honor, to value, to hold as worthy and worthwhile. You do this every day. I've seen Jimmy revere his wife and the love that he has for her. You know, I've seen, I've seen, I, oh, sorry, wrong, wrong marriage. I've seen Ben revere his wife. For, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Okay. But I, I've seen that. I, I've, I've seen guy, I've seen guys revere a phone when they buy a brand new device and just like, whoa. And, and they, and they revere a phone that they have. And oh, look at this little gadget I got. You know, I, yeah, I, I have, I've, I've seen parents revere their children and things. And what does that mean? That means they prioritize them. And so when it says for us to revere Christ as Lord, it means not only to revere him, not only to worship him, not only to recognize him, not only to acknowledge him, but to acknowledge him in the position that he holds, even in those circumstances, 
and those realistic expectations that aren't going your way. He's still in charge. He's still God. He's still Lord. And we are to revere him in that. And to revere the fact that his spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of the most high God, meaning this, the fact that we are in intimate relationship with God, not only to know him, but to be known by him. To revere him because of the fact that as the temple of the Holy Spirit, God himself dwells in every born-again believer, in you. To revere that your your body is the temple of the living God to revere him as Lord because of the fact that we are sealed. That word in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 talks about the royal seal that cannot be broken. It means that you're set apart. You're set apart by God himself that marks us as belonging to him. So when Peter charges these believers, when Peter charges us to revere Christ as Lord in their hearts, he is charging us to set Christ apart as incomparably unique, as incomparably unique. There is no one like him. There is no one beside him. He is and will always be God and God alone. I mean, what? Acts chapter 4 verse 12, what does it say? that there is no other name under heaven whereby one might be saved, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that at the name of Jesus demons shake with fear, that at the name of Jesus when, you, when, the, when legion, I, I shared this in a devotional, when legion sees Jesus from a distance, what do the demons do? They run before Jesus and throw themselves down before him and say, please do not throw us into the abyss. That at the name of Jesus, we are to revere him as Lord. And here's, here's what's crazy. Even if you don't revere him as Lord in your hearts, does nothing to change his position as Lord. That's what's amazing. What you think, it's like saying, and this is a really poor example, but it's like Julian saying to me, oh, I, actually, no, me, me saying to Julian, calling his wife Simone instead of Yvonne, what I think her name is doesn't matter. If I call her Simone, if I call her Francis, sorry, terrible names. Apologize if you're Francis or Simone. But all, all, all I'm saying is this, what I think of somebody doesn't change the reality. Doesn't change the reality. What somebody thinks of God, Christian and non-Christian alike, doesn't change the reality that he is God. So I'm preparing these believers that Peter writes to and preparing us as we read the same words. The conjunction put forward to us is so that we will hold Christ in reverence and recognition in our own hearts. That we will hold in our own hearts the same position that he already has, that he will always have, and that can never be taken away that he is Lord over all creation. He is the Lord who holds all things in his hands. John 3, 35, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. He is the Lord who holds us in his hands that no one can take us out of his hand, pluck us out. He is the Lord who's pierced his hands for us. And don't you think that that in and of itself is deserving of our reverence, 
is deserving of our recognition. For if we reverenced Christ as Lord in our hearts, then our preparedness, preparedness is birthed from us knowing what he has done in us and with us in the gospel. It is why it says at the end of verse 15, well, not the complete end, he says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. You see, to have Christ revered in our hearts. Like I look at Simon, how long have you guys been married for now? How many weeks? Vivian's like this, Vivian's like this. Yeah, don't you get this? Don't you get this wrong? Don't you get this wrong? No, no, she's not. She's not. Sorry. Yeah. How many days? Six. <laughs> we have one, one month and 14 days. I think that's what you're trying to say. Okay. All right. Okay. No, no worries. Okay. But see, what, 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 I, what, I love, what I love about this is that there's this, this reverence, this, this, this cherishing of, of his wife and vice versa. And in the cherishing of his wife, there has been things that Simon has chosen to do, and likewise with Vivian, chosen to do to express that, that reverence. You know, it, might be, it might be now he, he calls every night he's going to be late. I'm going to be home, I'm going to be home late. Or I'm doing this or I'm doing that or whatever it might be. But there are practical steps he takes to demonstrate that reverence of her as a priority in his life. Well, okay, if, if we're willing to do this for our wives or for our husbands or for our children, then at the very least, and at the very least, then I, I can be prepared to tell people about the Jesus who loved me so much that he died for me. That I'm prepared that people look at me in the, in the midst of different struggles and see that I've, I have a peace that really does transcend all my circumstances. They ask, well, how, how is this that, that you can live this way? How is it that you can do this, that, and the other? I said, well, because my Jesus is walking with me through this. Because my Jesus has his hand on all things. Because my Jesus is with me. That's where the answer is, so that we can tell of how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And how that love gives hope for the future. How that love gives comfort in trial. And how that love can grant us peace in difficulty. So if I have the but of realistic expectation, what I call this is the but. I didn't put it up there. I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, I'll call this the, uh, the, the but of internal preparedness of internal preparedness. I think that's what I call it because I haven't got it written down. Okay. Oh, internal preparation. There we go. This is what I call the but of internal preparation because it stems from the but of realistic expectation. Which leads us to our third one. Nearly done, ladies and gentlemen. It is in the living out or the expressing outwardly of the inward reality of Christ's lordship in me. So in other words, you've got but even, so despite the circumstances, but in, meaning this internal preparation as I revere Christ, but do, but do, but do this with gentleness and respect 
keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I'm gonna put in verse 17, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Notice something there. It is better that if we are going to suffer, suffer for doing the right thing. If we're going to suffer, suffer because we walk in accordance with God's heart. If we're going to suffer, suffer because we're a witness for the Son of God. Okay, it's, it's better to lose a job because you're making a stand for the gospel than it is for stealing from work. It's better to, to be harassed for living a life of integrity and a life that honors God than being harassed because you're being an idiot. It's far better than that. I mean, honestly, what, what does it say in Mark 12? What does it profit a man if he, loo- if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? I mean, if you're, gonna, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna fail, if you're gonna suffer, we do so in accordance with God's heart. And the best exposition of this truth is the way Peter turns to Jesus' example of gentleness, of respect, of godly integrity as Jesus submitted to God's will that resulted in his arrest, in his brutal beating, in his torturous crucifixion, and his lonely death as Christ, who knew no sin, became a sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Because Christ's example had the bigger picture of God's work in mind. Christ's example had the bigger picture of the glory and the exaltation of God's name above all else, including himself. Um, if you look back at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, oh, which has been up there the whole time. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. And he says this, to this you were called. Why don't you hold on to that? To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So we see that example there for us, but do. And then at the end of chapter three, we read this in verses 13, uh, sorry, verse 18 to 22. I'm not gonna read the whole lot, but if you've got your Bibles, follow along. It says, Christ also suffered once for sins. Actually, I will read the whole lot, sorry. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers in submission to him. Now, that was a lot of reading. Here's what I really like about this. When it talks about us, about but doing, about the attitude that we have, about the way we conduct ourselves, or or in other words, this, how I revere Christ as Lord in my heart. How 
do I prioritize the things of God that he challenges me with? When I look at the example of Jesus Christ, I see how Christ himself prioritized the will of God in everything that he did. And it was from the smallest things to the bigger things. Everything he did was done so in order to, to see not only God's name proclaimed, but that others would come to know him as well. And this is what we have been entrusted to be able to, to revere Christ and Lord, that even in our circumstances and as we revere Christ as Lord, we can do so in a manner that points people to Jesus. See, if I come to this understanding of what these three conjunctions are, this conjunction of realistic expectation, the, the conjunction of internal preparation, and the third one is the, the conjunction or the, the but of external complementation, which basically means this. As Christ is revered in your heart, then it is accompanied with the heart of Christ, with the life of Christ, with the fruit of Christ in the way we conduct ourselves to others. That gentleness and respect, that patience and that acceptance, that long-suffering and that mercy, that compassion and that understanding. If understanding these three conjunctions and understanding these three buts, I can arrive at this, this understanding that my life, my life in the here and now is but the temporary means to which God has given me to serve Him. You see, our life, this is where we'll end up. As I shared before, this isn't our final destination. But we have to have this this mindset, this mindset, this desire, this desire to be looking to what's to come, to be looking for Jesus and for his purposes and for his will to be done. That, but even despite the circumstances that I face, I can but in revere Christ in my heart and then but do live according to him, not only in gentleness and respect, but do his will as he lays it upon my heart, moment by moment, day by day. But even, but in, but do. If you don't remember anything else, remember those three buts. So with that, I want to close with a word of prayer. I didn't ask the music team, but can I ask the music team to come up to sing that last song? The fourth one, yeah, please. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the challenge that you've laid before us. And I pray, Father, you will help us. You'll help us to, to prioritize you. You'll help us to live in, in, in line with your will, with your heart, with your very person. And you'll help us, Lord, to, to be a, a vessel through which you can reach out to a world and have the reality of your love demonstrated to others. We ask you to dismiss us now and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.